tonight. I pray you'd bless uh, us, Lord. I pray you'd help me to say the things, Father, that you would have me to say. I pray, Lord, that at this moment, uh, all our distractions would be minimized. All uh, just anything that's going on in our lives or anything we have planned for the week, Lord, we might be able to set aside as we look at this passage and begin to study it. Father, I pray you'd help me that the Holy Spirit would come upon me and help me to preach uh, this passage, Lord, in a way that it might minister unto your dear people. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in Judges chapter 15. And as you know, we've been preaching through the book of Judges on Sunday nights. You know, I like the evening services because we preach through the books of the Bible and you get to learn the books of the Bible in their context. And you know, what I like about the evening services is that I don't have to figure out what I'm preaching because last week we were in chapter 14, this week we're in chapter 15, next week we'll be in chapter 16. So I don't have to figure out what I'm preaching, I just need to study what I'm preaching so that I can do a good job with it. But you know, the difficult thing about preaching through the books of the Bible is that you don't get a choice as to what you're preaching. You know what I mean? I mean, you got to preach it whether, whether it's interesting or whether it's dense or whether it's controversial or whatever. And you know, chapter 15 is has been a very difficult uh, book to uh, 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 chapter to outline. And there's a lot of good truth in here, and I want you to understand those, and I want you to get those. Uh, but I, I want to show you just a few things. Now, you've got to understand the context of what's going on. If you remember, in chapter 14, Samson married a Philistine girl. And when he married her, he had all sorts of problems with the Philistines. He gave them a riddle. They threatened to kill her because of that riddle. And he had all sorts of issues there. If you look at the, the last verse in chapter four, uh, 14, the Bible says, But Samson wife was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend. And actually, if you look at verse 19, let's read 19 also. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle, and his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. So you got to understand, Samson just got married, and he does the thing that most new couples do, but it's not a healthy thing, he's fighting with his wife. He's upset, he gets mad, the Bible says his anger was kindled, he actually left and went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Now that's the context that we're in when we come into verse number 1 of chapter 15. Verse 1 of chapter 15 says, But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid, and he said, I will go into my wife into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. So you got to understand this, okay? Samson had a lot of issues. Samson had a lot of sin. Samson had a lot of problems. But Samson also had a lot of good qualities. And he had a lot of things that he tried to do. And here we see Samson coming with a kid. He's coming with a present. He wants to reconcile with his wife. He wants to get this going and be able to do... Now, I want you to understand, okay? There's a couple of things in chapter 15 that we can learn from Samson's wife. A couple of things that we can learn from Samson's wife. And really, there are a couple of mistakes that she made uh, with uh, in chapter 15 that we can study. Now, you've got to understand this. And we talked about this last week, but it's good for you to hear it again. Keep your finger there in, in, in chapter 15 and go to Genesis chapter number 2. Like I said, we talked about this last week, 
But it's good for us to talk about it and it continues in the same context, pretty much the same story, continuation of the same story. So I want to remind you of this principle, Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 24. Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The first mistake that we see from Samson's wife, if you go back to verse to chapter 15, is that she failed to leave and cleave. Now if you remember last week, we saw that Samson did the same thing. He said to his wife, I love my parents more than I love you. And he failed to separate himself from his parents and leave. But here we find that his wife had the same problem. When Samson's wife got married to Samson, her dad was no longer her authority. Her authority in life was Samson. But notice what happens, verse 1. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid, and he said, I will go into my wife, into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in. So he shows up, he says, I want to see my wife, he said, I want to reconcile with her, I brought this kid, and, 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 and the kid is talking about a, a goat there, or a lamb, and, uh, and the father, the Bible says, the father would not suffer, the word suffer means allow, the father would not allow him to go in, verse 2, and her father said, notice what he said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. Okay, so here's what the dad does. He assumes that Samson is mad and never coming back. So he takes it upon himself to give his daughter away to another man. To a companion. Do you understand? I mean, she just, she got married to one of Samson's friends. And let me tell you something. If there's anything worse than coming back after a fight and realizing that your wife is now with another man, you know, if, if there's anything worse than that, it's realizing that she's with another man and it's your friend. You know what I mean? I mean, this is a pretty bad thing. And this guy, the dad, see, the dad decided, I'm going to do this. Notice, notice verse 2. And her father said, I barely thought that thou utterly hated her, therefore I gave her to thy companion. And when he was making all these plans, and he was making all these decisions, Samson's wife should have stood up and said, Hey, listen, dad, I love you. Hey, listen, dad, I honor you. Hey, listen, dad, I'm all for you. But you are no longer my authority. The Bible says that she was to leave and cleave to her new husband. But when she failed to do that, it caused all sorts of problems. Look at verse 3. And Samson said concerning them. Now you got to understand, why is Samson so mad? Samson is mad because he shows up to talk to his wife and she's now married to some other man. And she's married to a man that was his friend. And in verse 3 the Bible says, And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines. I think that's funny, you know. The Philistines were pretty wicked people. You know, he's like, I'm, the word blameless means to be not guilty, or to not be able to be told that you're guilty of something. He says, I'm going to be more blameless than the Philistines. That's like us saying today, I'm going to be more blameless than Obama. Okay? He's a wicked man. You know, that's, the standard's not very high. And that's what normally, you know, normally Christians like to compare themselves amongst themselves, and they always want to compare themselves to like someone that's wicked. Well, I'm better than so-and-so, but how are you compared to Jesus Christ? You know, he says, he says, verse 3, And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless to the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. That's also kind of funny. Because displeasure sounds like he's going to do something sneaky. I mean, he does something pretty bad. Look at verse 4. 
And Samson went and caught. Now you got to understand. Sam, you know. And by the way, in, in the context here, Samson is probably in his mid to early 20s. So he's not, he's not an old man. You know, he's, he's still a young man. And in a lot of ways, he's thinking like a young man. And he says there in verse 4, And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Now you got to understand this, okay? He catches 300 foxes and took firebrands. A firebrand is a piece of burning wood, or a piece of wood at this point that's not burning. So he takes 300 foxes, 150 pieces of wood, and turned tail to tail. So he grabs these foxes by their tails. And you know how the foxes have those big, long, bushy tails? He takes these 300 foxes, pairs them up, 150 pairs, Takes them by the tail. Look what it says. And turn tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between the two tails. So he takes two foxes. You know, how do you think this would go over in our society today? You know, what, what is that uh, organization that's all about animal rights? PETA? Is it PETA? Or SBC or whatever? You know, I mean, the, the Democrats would be all upset about this. He takes two foxes, ties their tail up, and in between that knot he puts a piece of wood and he sets the wood on fire. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And he's got 150 of these bears. I mean, that kind of tells you how strong and how gutsy Samson was. I mean, go home and take your two little dogs and tie their tails up and see how that goes. You know what I mean? I mean, they're not going to be happy. And then he puts a wood of fire in between them. Now look at verse 5. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go. Look what he does. He let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn while the vine- uh, uh, with the vineyards and all I mean, this is a crazy thing that Samson decides to do. Because he, he doesn't just set their fuel on fire. You know why? Because if you set their fuel on fire, they could just, you know, they could, they could maybe try to get that section put out and then, you know, be done. I mean, he sends 150 pairs of foxes tied by the tails with fire in between them. I mean, these foxes are running around like crazy. They're going everywhere. I mean, it burns up the whole field. And by the way, now the Philistines, I mean, that's their resources for the next year. Because you've got to understand, look, look, at, look at the beginning of verse 15. When it came to pass, within a while, in the time of the wheat harvest. It was time for them to bring in the harvest. This was going to be their food supply for the rest of the year. And Samson just literally destroys their food supply. Look at verse 6. And when the Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Because he had taken his wife and given her to his companions. Now notice what it says. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. So Samson comes home. His wife is now married to another man. He gets mad, takes 100, you know, 300 uh, foxes, ties them up, puts firebrands in between them, sends them into the fields, burns up all their harvest, burns up everything they've got. They get mad. They said, who did this? Samson did it. So then they go to Samson's wife, who's now married to another man, and literally burn her and her father and set her on fire. Now here's what's interesting, okay? Do you remember from chapter 14? Go back to chapter 14. Look at verse 15. Do you remember in chapter 14, Samson gives that riddle? And the people weren't able to find the riddle? Look at verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day, that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband, that he may declare unto us the riddle. Now notice what the threat is. Lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Do you see that? Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? So here's the thing. In chapter 14, 
They're mad at Samson because of the riddle. They go to Samson's wife and they said, Look, we're going to burn you with fire, so you need to do what we tell you to do. And she did the wrong thing. She went against her husband. She went behind his back. She got the information from him, took it to other men. And why did she do it? So that they would not burn her and her father with fire. But what happens in chapter 15? She ends up getting burnt up and her father with fire anyway. See, you say, well, what can we learn from this? First of all, we understand that Samson's wife made a mistake when she did not leave and cleave to her husband. But Samson's wife also made a mistake when she decided that she was going to make a deal with the Philistines. You've got to understand this right now. When you make a deal with the world, the world is always going to end up doing what they want to do. They wanted to set her on fire. They wanted to kill her and her father. She compromised with them. But guess what? In chapter 15, they found a reason to set her on fire anyway. This is why I tell some of you, and I wish you know you would apply this to your heart, but look, I'm telling you right now, you go to the job. I can't work Sundays. Well, can you work one Sunday? Well, okay, I'll work one Sunday. Let me tell you something. You're going to be working every Sunday. You can't make a deal with the world. We're going to set you on fire. Unless you do this. Okay, I'll do that. But guess what? Chapter 15, you're on fire. You cannot make a compromise with the enemy. You cannot make a compromise in the world. You've got to decide where do you stand, what do you believe, and then don't give it. Because society, your family, the world, they're going to constantly be trying to get you to just make a deal with just this one time. But guess what? When they threaten to burn you up in chapter 14, and you compromise in chapter 14, and chapter 15, they're going to burn you up anyway. That's how it works. I remember when I was 17 years old, I was applying for my, you know, it was like my first job. I was going to go work at Subway. I was, I was successful, you know what I mean? Actually, the, working at Subway is one of the best things I did in my life. That's where I met my wife. And uh, she was my boss. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I remember when I, I, I remember, I, I remember this, I mean, I remember this conversation. The guy who owned the Subway was this Middle Eastern man. His name was Mo. You know, his, his name was something else, but that's what everybody called him, Mo. And I remember being a 17-year-old kid. And sitting down at the subway, and I'm having my, my interview for this job. And Mo sits down with me. And he's like, you know, he's asking me a few questions. He's like, you know, sounds good. Sounds like we could use you. He's like, I've got one problem. And I'm like, what, what, what is it? He's like, well, I was looking at your application here. And I was looking at the days that you're available. And you crossed out Sunday. And you crossed out Wednesday night. And he's like, you know, if you're going to work at Subway, we're going to need you to work on the weekends. And I said, well, if you need me to work on the weekends, then this job's probably not going to work for me. And he's like, well, wait, wait, wait. Maybe we can work something out. What if, what if I just need you to work every other Sunday? And I said, no deal. What if I just need you to work once a month? No deal. What if I just need you to work in the case of an emergency? And I said, I can't do it. And he's like, in the case of an emergency, I couldn't count on you? I'm like, you could not count on me on a Sunday. I'm a 17-year-old boy. I mean, I'm just a kid, but I know I'm not working on Sunday. And, he's, and this is what he said. He's like, he's like well, is your pastor really going to be that upset at you if you just missed one Sunday? I, I said to him, I'm not doing it because of my pastor. I'm doing it because of God. But I remember he said, he said to me, he's like, well, in an emergency you couldn't come in? I said, here's why I couldn't come in. Because if I agree to come in in one emergency, then you'll want me to come in on the second emergency, and the third emergency, and the fourth emergency, and before I know it, every weekend's an emergency. And, and, and I thought to myself, like, I don't have this job. There's no way I'm going to get this job. And I said, well, listen, I can't work on Sunday, so I don't think this is going to work out. And, he, and this is what he says to me. You have the job. I never worked a Sunday. And here's the whole, the whole point I'm trying to make to you. Don't 
compromise what you believe. Because as soon as you say, okay, 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 I'll give him this one time. You ever read that book? You know, I was a little kid, we read this book. When you give, your, when you give a mouse a cookie. You ever read that as a kid? I know little kids have read that. You know, what, you know what happens when you give a mouse a cookie? He's going to ask you for a glass of milk. And when you give him a glass of milk, he's going to ask you for a napkin. And when you give him a napkin, he's going to ask you for something. And as soon as you give in, one inch, they're, going to, they're just, they're just going to take over. And that's what Samson's wife did not understand. She's like, this one time I'm going to give in because they're threatening to burn me. But guess what? They burn you anyway. So it's better to just not give in at all. So we said, what can we learn from Samson's wife when we learn the two mistakes that she made there? But I want you to see this, okay? Not only can we learn from Samson's wife in chapter 15, but we can also learn from Samson's war. Now here's what's interesting. Look at verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you. And after that, I will cease. Now notice what happens, okay? They burned up his wife. They burnt up his wife's family. And his focus is on what they did to him. Notice what he says. Though ye have done this. He says, because you did this to me, I'm going to do something to you. Now notice what his plan is. The last part of verse 7. I will cease. He says, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, and then we'll be done. We'll be even. Now notice what he does in verse 8. And he smote them hip and thigh. With a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. Now you got to understand this, okay? And this is, I'll tell you right now, this is my opinion, so you don't have to agree with me if you don't want. But as I was studying this passage, I realized this. When Samson would go into battle, God would usually tell us how many people he killed. When you read verse 8, notice there's no number of how many he killed. And it's interesting because God doesn't usually tell us where He smote them. But in verse 8 it says, And He smote them, notice where He smote them, hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and He went down and dwelt on the top of the rock Edom. So it tells us He hit them, or He smote them in the hip and in the thigh, but it doesn't tell us He killed any of them. Now we understand that Samson is this, has supernatural strength. Here's what I think Samson did. I think Samson did something worse than killing them. He would smite them in their hip and in their thigh to the point where he would cripple these men, where they could no longer fight back, but he didn't kill them. Now you've got to understand this. The book of Judges, the nation of Israel, it's not the United States of America. It's not, you know, there's no welfare system, there's no Obamacare. If you can't work, you will die. Instead of just killing these guys and taking them out of misery, he cripples them to the point where they can't work, so they can just starve to death. This is a pretty, pretty tough guy to be messing with. Now, why did he do it? Look, look at verse 7. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged. He said, You did something to me, so I'm going to avenge myself. And once I avenge myself, notice, I will cease. He says, Look, I'm going to stop. I'm going to get my revenge, and then I'll stop. What's the problem? Verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are you come up against us? And they answered to bind, to bind Samson. Are we come up to do to him as he hath done to us? Now I want you to see this, okay? Samson says, You did something to me. I'm going to get revenge. And then I'm going to stop. They, their response, last part of verse 10, we're going to do to him as he hath done to us. So their response is, well, you wronged us, so now we're here to wrong you. Look at verse 11. 
Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Edom and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, Notice what he says unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. Are you trying to follow the point I'm trying to make? Samson says this, You wronged me, so I'm going to wrong you, and then I'll stop. They said, Well, wait a minute, you wronged me, so now we're going to wrong you. And then in verse 11 he says, Well, now, now you wronged me, so I'm going to wrong you again. you got to understand this. If you're constantly trying to avenge yourself, if you're constantly trying to, Well, they did me wrong, so I'm going to get back at them. Let me tell you something. That is a cycle that will never end. You say, oh, you know, so-and-so, my wife, you know, she treated me wrong, or my husband, he treated me wrong, so I'm going to do this to them, and then I'll stop. You're never going to stop. That's going to be a cycle of anger and fighting and bickering. That's why a mature Christian will just end it. Let me show you. Keep your finger there in Judges 15. Go to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. You say, I'm fighting with so-and-so, and I'm going to get back to them, and then I'll be done. You'll never be done. You'll be fighting with everyone for the rest of your life. Because let me tell you something. Throughout life, people are going to do you wrong. Throughout life, people are going to take advantage of you. Throughout life, people are going to do something. And you're going to think, well, I don't deserve this and I shouldn't go through that. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 39, Matthew 5.39, the Bible says, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Notice what Jesus says. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. See, the Bible says someone smites you on the cheek. Well, I'm just going to smite them once, and then I'll be done. Yeah, the problem is they're going to smite you again. And then guess what? You're going to smite, and before you know it, you're going to be in a fight. Jesus says they smite you, just turn the other cheek. See, a mature Christian ends fights. You say, my wife and I are are constantly fighting, because one of you needs to mature up. One of you needs to realize that, you're not going to say, well, I'm just going to say this one last thing, and then I'll be done. You won't be done, because you'll have something to say. Well, now that you said that, let me say this. And the argument's going to go forever. Do you understand what I'm saying? A mature Christian turns the other cheek. A mature Christian prefers other better than themselves. Esteems other better than themselves. A mature Christian says, you want to take advantage of me? That's okay. I'll pray for you. That's not being weak. That's being meek. And Jesus Christ said, I am lowly and meek. So we can learn from his foes, but I want you to see this also. We can learn from his friends. Look at verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah, and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are ye come up against us? Now you got to understand this, okay? The men of Judah are Israelites. Samson is an Israelite. These are Samson's brothers. And the men of Judah said to the Philistines, Why are ye come up against us? And they answered, to bind Samson are we come up to do to him as he hath done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went to the top of the rock Etam and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? Who is saying that to Samson? The three thousand men of Judah. They come to Samson saying, Knowest thou not that the rulers are uh, that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. Verse 12, And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee. Understand, the Israelites, Samson's family, his brethren, his fellow citizens, are saying, we're going to come, Samson, to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hands of the Philistines. 
You got to understand this. And, and, and if you would listen to me, I, I think I could help you. In your Christian life, some of the people who will be the most discouraging in your Christian life are other Christians. Do you understand what's going on here? Samson was the judge of the nation of Israel. Samson's job was to minister to these people. And the very people he's ministering to are now coming to him and saying, we're going to bind you and send you to the Philistines. I mean, that would have been the most discouraging thing as a leader to think, wow, where did I go wrong? Why is this happening? And you know what most, you know what most people quit church about? Not over what the world does or what the world says. We go out so winning, the, door, the world knocks, you know, they slam the door in our face. Whatever. But it's Christians. It's other believers when they hurt you, when they betray you. And I'm here to tell you, if you're going to be the type of Christian that's going to make it to the end of your life being faithful, if you're going to be a 20, 30, 40, 50 year old faithful Christian in the faith, you're going to have to realize that the people that are going to hurt you most in the Christian life are other Christians. You know, I, I want to say to some of these guys, we've got a, a, a couple guys in, in the service tonight that God may use as pastors or missionaries or preachers in the future. Let me, let me just talk to you guys for a minute, okay? I want you to understand this. In your ministry, when you are pastoring, when you are ministering, you've got to understand this, okay? Ministry is for the believer, is to minister to believers, is to help believers, is to pray for believers, is to love believers. But your ministry, although it's for believers, must be detached from believers. Now let me explain what I'm saying. If the source of why you're ministering is other people, you're not going to last very long. What I found out, and what my wife and I found out, and we have to find out real quickly, is that, you know what I, one of the toughest things I have to learn as a pastor? is that there is someone on the verge of quitting church every week. <laughs> I mean, every week there's like, Brother so-and-so, man, he's missed, you know, a week and a half. What's going on? Let's contact him. Let's pray for him. What's going on? Well, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Okay, let's pray for you. Okay, God bless you. And then right about the time we get, he's back, and he's like, praise the Lord. Yeah, he's excited again. He's back. He's faithful. Then it's like, well, not Brother so-and-so is Oh, let's pray for him, and let's get him. Let me write him a note. How you doing, brother? Is everything okay? Well, I'm struggling with this. Okay, well, let's pray about it. It's me. Let's go here. Yeah, you know, we talk about it. Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you, pastor. We're all excited. And right about the gate back to, now sister so-and-so, where's she been for a week and a half? You know what I realize is that every week, there's just someone on the verge of quitting, just every week. And if I allow that to just, like, bother me, here's what I have to figure out. I have to love people. I have to be here for people. But my ministry cannot be attached to people. Because when people leave, you got to keep preaching. When Samson was there, he was faithful, he was doing what he was supposed to do. And when 3,000 of the people that he was there to defend show up and say, Samson, we're going to send you to the Philistines. He had to decide, am I doing this for them or God? Because if you're doing it for people, you'll quit real quick. People will badmouth you, they'll stab you in the back. You'll get the most hurt from the people that you think are there to help you. And if you don't figure that out right now, you're not going to last very long in ministry. Samson here was hurt the most, not by the Philistines, because when the Philistines hurt him, he saw that coming. It's when his brethren hurt him. Now I want you to understand this about Samson. Remember I told you there's a few highlights to Samson. Look at verse 12. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee that we may deliver thee into the hands of the Philistines. 
Now notice his love for the people he's ministering to. He says, And Samson said unto them, Notice what he says, Swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen guys, I'm not here to fight you. He said, you want to bite me? That's fine. But just promise me that you're not going to try to kill me. Because here's what Samson's thinking. If you try to kill me, I'm going to kill you. If you want to fight me, I'll fight you, but I don't want to fight you. I'm here to fight the Philistines. Let me say something. In church, we're here to fight the world. We're in a spiritual warfare to fight the Philistines of this world, to win battles in the world. We're not here to be fighting each other. We're not here to be at odds with each other. You say, well, so-and-so hurt me. So-and-so talked bad about me. So-and-so did this to me. Just turn the other cheek and move on. 3,000 guys show up, Samson, and they want to get rid of you. And he says, okay, I'm not here to fight you. He said, I'm here to fight the Philistines. And see, Samson understood. He got a lesson here. We got the lesson from his wife. We got the lesson from his war. But I want you to see number three, that we can also get a lesson from the weapon he used. A lesson from Samson's weapon. Look at verse 15. Well, actually, look at verse 14. No, I'm sorry. Look at verse 13. And they spake unto him, saying, No. Because remember, he asked them, Don't fall on me. He's like, Don't kill me. Don't try to kill me. If you want to tie me up, that's fine. I'll go with you. But don't try to mess with me. Because I don't want to fight you. Verse 13. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast, and deliver thee into their hands. But surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords, and brought him up from the rock. So he says, they said, we're not going to kill you. He says, okay. They tie him up with two new cords, and they bring him down from the rock. Verse 14. And when he came unto Lehi, you got to just imagine this, okay? Here comes Samson, this great warrior, with 3,000 of his brethren that are supposed to be helping him. And he's all tied up. And as he walks in, the Bible says, verse 14, And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. Can you imagine that? You've got all, this whole army there to fight one guy. The guy walks in, tied up, and they're just like, Aah! You know? I mean, they're just shouting, probably cursing, yelling. Now notice what happens. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And when the Philistines shouted against him, the Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. And his bands loosed from off his hand. you got to understand this. You, you know, we get this idea. Samson is like Hercules. He's got all this muscle. You know, you you, you got to understand that I don't believe Samson was a real big muscular guy. I don't think that. I think Samson looked like a normal guy. You know, Samson looked like a normal guy. He didn't, he didn't look like this big old bodybuilder. Okay? Samson's strength did not come from his body. Samson's strength came from the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. You know? And, and just to prove to you that he didn't look like this big old guy, okay? Why are all these guys trying to fight him? I mean, if he just looked like this humongous, you know, they probably would be like, like, oh, no, don't mess with that guy. I mean, everybody's just coming at him. They're all fighting him. They're going for him. But you got to understand this. Samson does not just have this strength and just, you know, rip these cords apart. Look what it says. Look at the last part of verse 14. Um, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax. So the cords themselves became weak. That was burnt with fire. And don't miss this. And his bands that he had around his hands... Loose from off his hand. So, you know, they've got him like handcuffed, and he walks in, they yell, they're screaming, ah! The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and then just the, the, the bands on his arm and his hands just fall. 
The, the, the new cords just become weak. Notice verse 15. And he found a new jawbone of an ass. Now look, I don't know what that means. A new jaw, you know, you think of a jawbone, you know, you think of like Samson picks up the jaw, you know, the jawbone of an ass. You think of like an animal that died, it's been there rotting for a while, and the, the, the bone is separated, you know, and it's just kind of there, and it's kind of dry and crusty, and he picks it up. But the Bible says it was a new jawbone. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means it was still like, you know, goopy. <laughs> I don't know. It was like wet. I, maybe it means that he like ripped it off of uh, an ass. <laughs> you know, like the ass is still there and he like rips it off. I don't know what that means. But it says that he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it. Now notice this. And slew a thousand men there with. He takes this jawbone of an ass it becomes his weapon, and he literally kills a thousand men. Look at verse 16. And Samson said, now notice what he says, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. Now you may think, you know, what, you know, what, what is that about heaps about heaps? I believe that that phrase, heaps about heaps, he's literally talking about, you know, I mean, he just killed a thousand guys. You understand how many that? That's a lot of guys. I'm sure Samson's just standing there and there's just heaps and piles of dead bodies of men. And he's just like, with a jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with a jaw of an ass, I've slain a thousand men. He said, what can we learn from Samson's weapon? You can learn a couple things. First of all, you need to understand this, okay? Go, go to first, uh, keep your finger there in Judges 15. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, just real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. There's been a theme, I don't know if you've noticed it, throughout the book of Judges. But the theme has been this. God uses the most unlikely thing that we would think. If Samson was getting ready to go into battle, what kind of weapon do you would we logically think that God would give him? A sword? Or if you look today, like a bazooka? <laughs> you know, a thousand guys, good night. You know, I mean, some sort of weapon. He shows up to this battle... God provides for him a weapon. It's the jawbone of an ass. Not necessarily what you think God would have there waiting for him. But you've got to understand this. And it's best described in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. You may look at yourself and say, can God really use me? You may look at yourself and say, I don't really have, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I don't know everything that I'm supposed to know. You know, I don't have all the talents and all the qualities and I don't know that I can really do this. And let me tell you something. If you look at yourself and you think, I don't think I can do it, you are exactly who God wants to use. Because He doesn't call many mighty. He doesn't call many wise. He doesn't call many uh, 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 many uh, noble. He doesn't call people that are impressive. You know what made me realize, what gave me confidence when we were starting Verity Baptist Church, what gave me confidence that God was going to allow us to be able to be a ministry that would see people saved and baptized and growing. You know what gave me that confidence? The fact that people kept telling me, you can't do it. 
don't believe in you. Amen. You don't have the training, you don't have the education, you're short, you're ugly. You know what I am? The jawbone of an ass. You know what you are? The jawbone of an ass. Say, can God really use you? God can use anything. Can God really use us here on Northgate Boulevard? I remember I told people, yeah, people would ask me, you know, oh, you got a, you're still meeting in that house? No, we got a building. Where's it at? Northgate Boulevard? <laughs> Northgate. <laughs> Just a job one of an ass. But God can use it. You say, well, it's not, very, it's not very mighty. God doesn't need the mighty. See, God actually wants to use those that are the weakest because when He uses those that are the weakest, when He uses that which seems the least likely, He gets the most glory. When Samson picked up that job one of the ass, I bet a thousand Philistines thought, this guy's got a bone. We've got shields and swords, but at the end of the day, heaps upon heaps. But at the end of the, the, the day, with a jawbone of an ass, have I killed a thousand men? Because you got to understand, what made Samson successful, what made Samson a force to be reckoned with, was not his weapon. It was the Spirit of the Lord upon his life. Now you got to understand this, okay? Go back to Judges 15. Look at verse 16. And Samson said... With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. Now, I want you to understand this. Keep, uh, keep your finger there in Judges 15. Go, go to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to prove to you that, you know, you, you may look at someone like Samson and you think, well, Samson, I mean, he was just, he was just amazing. I mean, Samson, I mean, he just had all this strength, he had all this power. I mean, he was special. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. See, God wants to use you as much as He wanted to use Samson. You say, Paul, Paul was a great missionary. Paul was a great man of God. And Paul was a great man of God. But do you know that God wants to, use, wants to use you as much as He wants to use Paul? As much as He wants to use Peter? As much as He wants to use any of those men? See, you say, well, Samson, he was special. Why? Because one man killed a thousand? Are you there in Deuteronomy chapter 32? Look at verse 30. Deuteronomy 32, verse 30. Well, look at verse 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except the rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? He said, Samson was amazing. And with one man, he killed a thousand. But yet God had already promised that every man in Israel could have, one man could have put a thousand to flight. Are you following what I'm saying? The 3,000 men that bound Samson, every single one of them could have put 1,000 men to flight. Every single one of them had the power of the, ex, of, of the power of God. They had the access. They could have done it. Yet, some chose not to. What was the difference between Samson and those men is that he exercised faith. And when God said do it, he didn't, you know, well, is it really logical of me to fight 1,000 guys? He just picked up the jawbone and got to work. Is it really logical that we're going to be able to knock on all the doors in the Sacramento area? Just look, don't, don't worry about the logic. Just pick up the job when it gets to work. God has already given the victory. There was nothing special about Samson. God had already promised that one man would put a thousand to flight. Two men would put ten thousand to flight. It would have been good if there was another man there to help Samson. Maybe more than a thousand Philistines would have died that day. But because there was only one, God used the one. Go back to Judges 15. I want you to see something. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass, he had made an end of speaking, 
So what was he speaking? He was saying, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men? And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand, and called the place Ramath-Lehi. Now, keep your finger there in Judges 15. Go to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Samson does something that is very normal for a Christian to do in their Christian life. Samson finds himself in a, bear, in a very difficult position. Okay? He's bound. He's tied up. He's surrounded by the enemy. God miraculously loosens, loosens his bandings. He's made free. He picks up the only weapon he can find, gets to work, kills a thousand men. But when the battle's done, the Bible says... He, he threw the jawbone away. you got to understand this. In our Christian life, we have a weapon too. Are you there in Ephesians chapter 6? Look at verse number 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, that's our weapon, what is it? Which is the Word of God. Okay, so the Word of God, the Bible, according to Ephesians chapter 6, is our weapon. You understand that? Samson, go back to, to Judges 15. We're almost done. I just want you to see this. Samson finds himself in a very difficult situation, grabs a weapon, gets to work. But when, it, when the battle's done, when the enemy's gone, when the way is clear, here's what he does. Verse 17. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the praise Ramath Lehi. Let me tell you something. In the Christian life, you will find people and they are in bondage to sin, bondage to drugs, bondage to alcohol. They find themselves in the midst of a battle. They find themselves in the midst of a war. They find themselves surrounded by the Philistines. And man, they are running to the sword. They're running to the weapon. I mean, you, they can't get enough church. They can't get enough preaching. They can't get enough ivory. I mean, they've got their weapon. Just like Samson grabbed his jawbone that was his weapon. They've got their weapon because they're like, man, I'm in trouble. i got to fight. i got to do something. But you know what happens to most Christians when they get the victory? Don't need that anymore. When they're in trouble, man, they're in church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Man, I need God. I need God. Preacher, can you pray for me? I need the Bible. Will you meet it with me? But when everything's going fine, don't need that. You coming to church tonight, brother? Why, why would I need that? I'm, I'm good. See, Samson wins the battle with the weapon, but when the, when the weapon's done, when the battle's done, he's like, don't need that anymore. He cast it away. Well, what's the problem? Look at verse 18. And he was sore of thirst. He just killed a thousand guys, so he's pretty thirsty. And called on the Lord and said, he does what we like to do, he complains. Now I was given this great deliverance into the hands of thy servants, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And God clave an hollow place that was in the jaw. You see that? And there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived, wherefore he called the name thereof, and Hakori, which is in Lehi unto this day. Here's what I'm trying to explain to you. God gave him a weapon to fight the battle. And when the battle was done, he cast it away. But the thing is, 
God had already had it planned that that weapon was not only to fight the battle, the weapon was to revive his soul. Samson says, I'm thirsty. And God says, remember that jaw phone that I gave you? The one that you threw away because you didn't fit anymore? Why don't you go pick that thing back up? And he picks it up. He claims a hole in that. Water begins to come out of his boat and he drinks from it. If that's your man, as I was in bondage, that's your man, as I was in a battle, and man, I couldn't get enough Bible. Once the battle's over, don't throw this thing away. Because the same thing that'll help you in the battle will also refresh you, nourish you, will make sure that you're taken care of. This is not just a sword that we fight with, it is also the thing that revives us. But see, our problem is this I'm in a battle, I need the Bible. The battle's done, don't need that anymore. Samson still needed it. God still had a plan for that jawbone. Look at verse 20 and we're done. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. I believe that the events of chapter 14, 15, and 16 all happened over a period of 20 years. But I believe that the events of chapter 14 and 15 more than likely happened at the beginning of the 20 years. And the events of chapter 16 obviously happened at the end of the 20 years because that's when Samson died. What I'm trying to explain to you is this. Depending on how long it took to play out the events of chapter 14 and 15, maybe a year, maybe two, the majority of the 20 years that Samson lived, he lived, you know, that he judged Israel, were between chapter 15 and 16. Okay? Because you say, why do you say that? Okay, look at verse 20. And he judged Israel in the days of Philistines 20 years. Yet in chapter 16, we find the account of him going to, to the harlot and, and, and all that stuff, Delilah, and he dies. Look at the last, just real quickly, look at the last verse of, of chapter 16, verse 31. And his brethren and all the house of the father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him uh, between Zorah and Eshtol in the burying place of Manoah's father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Okay? I believe that his ministry is 20 years. But the majority of that 20 years was between chapter uh, six, uh, 15 and chapter 16. In chapters 14 and 15, he's in his early 20s. In chapter 16, he's in his 40s. And he dies. Now here's what I'm trying to say. For 20 years, Samson served faithfully. For 20 years, he judged Israel. He did right. And, he, and he got, he, we find him in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of great faith. But what do we know? What's the most famous story of Samson? It hasn't been the stories that we've dealt with. The most famous story of Samson is that of Samson and who? Delilah. Because you know, you can serve faithfully for 20 years... And mess up at the end. And that's all people will remember. What to God that you and I would pray. That we would be the type of Christians. That we would end our ministry. Look. My goal is to end my ministry at, here at Verity Baptist Church. You know. I'm three years in. Like 55 to go. You know what I mean? I mean. I want to be here for like 50 years. 60 years. If God would allow me. You know. 30 years. Probably more uh, accurate. But you know what? I, you know what would be horrible? To pastor a church faithfully for 20 years and then fall to a woman. Not that it was the woman's fault, although she took part in it. But let me tell you something. The Christian life is not measured in years. It's measured in decades. And what I mean by that is I'm not minimizing the years you've served God. I'm not minimizing that at all. But I'm not, my goal is not to be the pastor of Verity Baptist Church for three years. My goal is to be the pastor of Verity Baptist Church for 30 years. You need to be thinking in decades. Not, I serve God now for two years. No, why don't, you, why don't you plan, I'm going to be serving God 20 years from now. 
I serve God now for four years. Why don't you be thinking, I'm going to serve God for the next 40 years? Stay faithful. Stay with it. Fight the battles and realize that people are going to hurt you. Christians are going to make it tough on you. You're going to need to stay close to that weapon of yours. But stay with it till the end. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the evening services when we can just go verse by verse through these chapters. And Lord, I pray, I know that these chapters of Samson aren't necessarily the most famous and well-known stories of Samson. But Father, I pray you'd help us to understand that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture can be learned from. And Lord, as we were going through this chapter, I pray that we would apply it to our lives to realize, Lord, that you have a plan for us. Samson made a lot of mistakes. He did a lot of good things, but he ended wrong. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we study that next week in chapter 16. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just, everyone here would decide, I'm going to finish strong. My goal is to finish right. My goal is not to quit. My goal is not to be cast away. My goal is to be in it for the long haul. Father, we love you. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.